Hello, this is Parrish Alford with the Daily Journal. This is another edition of the Justify Your Existence podcast. I'm joined by our Ole Miss writer, Michael Katz, our Mississippi State writer, Stefan Kreischnick. Guys, how are you? It's been a while since we've, been, since we've done this all together. It's, uh, it's nice to see the family back together. <laughs> yeah, I had to dust off the laptop a little it bit. It has been a while, man. It has been a while, but it's uh, – it, it, it's a good thing, yeah, coming all together and, and seeing uh, just how early you guys can be uh, alert and things like that. I, it's just just really exciting, you know. Uh, I know y'all are not quite on the uh, the old man schedule uh, of, of get up and, uh, you know, at at, uh, at 5.30 and, and uh, well, heck, it, uh, it really, you know, 5.20 is, is the alarm. But uh, anyway. Uh, I know that uh, when you're awake, man, it's it's uh, high quality stuff. We appreciate uh, what y'all are doing. So talk to me about this baseball season. You know, we we take pride in uh, in college baseball in Mississippi, and you know the programs are good. The programs are good in a lot of states, but it's very competitive here. It's very uh, you know very supported uh, by the fan bases. And, and one of the things that I think is is unique for college baseball in Mississippi is these amazing venues at both places, facilities at both places that are, you know, top of the game right now and continuing to get better uh, with plans for, you know, continuing to, to upgrade and things like that. Uh, and they're only an hour and a half apart. These two really great college baseball venues are an hour and a half apart in the same state. I think that's kind of uh, kind of cool uh, and unique. But uh, I want to hear from uh, both of you because, in my mind, and maybe my perception is wrong on this. Okay, maybe it's maybe it's changed and it's different. But uh, I think that uh, neither of you come from amazing college baseball hotbeds. College baseball, in and of itself, is it, it's still a sport that has a great following in pockets of the country, but not necessarily all over. Uh, and uh, I get the sense that uh, both of you are coming from the not necessarily all over parts. And I'd like to hear uh, what you thought about your your first weekend. Uh, Michael, we'll start with you. Yeah, so, um, you know, historic, my alma mater, USC, historically has really good baseball, but it's been a while. I don't think they think they're Sounds like USC time. football a little bit. Oh, come on, man. USC football has been more relevant recently than USC baseball. <laughs> uh, USC baseball was last good when Aaron Boone was on the roster, 1998, with like Mark Pryor and like all those guys. So it's been a while. Um, but and then, you know, the last couple places I've been, uh, Boise and Wyoming, didn't have baseball programs um, because the weather's not particularly conducive uh, toward that kind of thing. So you know, I think I covered one baseball game during my time at SC. Um, I had not covered a college baseball game other than some junior college games when I was in Idaho um, uh, until this weekend. So, um, you know, Southern California has uh, some really nice, you know, high school uh, programs and whatnot. They've, they've got some really nice players out there. Um, you know, Freddie Freeman's from out there. Um uh, there's, there's been a lot of, a lot of good players from out there, but, um, you know, really my first time consistently covering baseball since I covered high school stuff back in like 2014. So, uh, it, you know, I wasn't really sure what to expect from 
a college, an SEC college baseball, you know, program and facilities. And um, man, it's really nice. Um, you know, I'm probably going to overdose on concession food by the end of the season. Uh, you know, I, I think I'm going to have to start pulling, uh, pulling or, or using Parrish's uh, memorial microwave in the press box and bringing my own food because I, I, I think all the hot dogs and peanuts are probably going to be the death of me. But, uh, you know, other than that, man, it's it's, you know, Ole Miss baseball is, you know, they are what we kind of thought they are so far they they hit the heck out of the ball and i think we all knew they were going to do that and the pitching looked really good against charleston southern but you know it's not yeah i don't think you can take too much from that series but um you know they looked really good but they, they did what they were supposed to do and, and just the environment uh you know it was really cool to, it's my first time seeing the legendary beer showers that i had heard so much about and you know tim melko had two by himself uh it was, uh, it was just, it was a really cool experience. And I imagine Steph's, you know, was probably even, you know, in some ways bigger because of, you know, the national title banner and all that stuff that probably went along with, with what happened uh, over in Starkville. Michael, yeah. let's go back a little bit uh, uh, before we get over to, to Steph. Uh, you talked about the, the tradition and there is a great tradition uh, of college baseball at USC, but I get the sense there that it's pro market, not college market. Even, even when those USC teams were really good, were, were they supported at a high level? Uh, were there uh, investments in the facilities and things like that? Yeah, no. And that's, it's kind of confounding. It's, it's kind of the same question of like, why hasn't USC football been great? It's one of those things that doesn't make a lot of sense because the talent is in Southern California. There's plenty there. I think one of the problems is a lot of the kids that USC recruits end up getting drafted pretty high and they don't end up going to college. Um, you know, one of the programs that I covered was Huntington Beach. Uh, they won or one of the top programs in, in the country. And, you know, one of their best players was a USC signing and then he got drafted in the first round well he's not going to go to sc he's going to go get his money and so i think that's one of the things that they've kind of battled is you know there's so much talent there and and i don't know if that's a scouting problem or or what that is i don't know how you scout guys who like aren't going to be drafted high but are still really good i think there's kind of a balance there but um that's kind of one of the things that i've i've thought is that you know there's all of these really talented players but none of them end up going to college and i think that's that's a tough thing about college baseball is sort of finding the guys who are going to sign or maybe who are who aren't going to be like super high draft picks yet but are really projectable uh it's it, i think it's really fascinating how how coaching staffs kind of find the, the guys that they, they they know are going to actually sign with the program Steph, uh, tell me about uh, your first experience at Duty Noble. Yeah, I mean, it lived up to, to all the expectations and um, so much so that I'll write about it uh, today. Um, but I, I think what's interesting is that, you know, for, for me coming from Big Ten country and specifically, you know, being a student and covering Indiana, um, you know, basketball reigns supreme. And, and as much as football and, and baseball, I mean, Granted, Indiana baseball historically isn't great. They've had a good stretch of about a decade or so, and, and I'm sure Mississippi State fans know well about that with Chris Limonis uh, uh, coming to Mississippi State from coaching at Indiana and having success there. But, um, you know, as much as those two sports, football and, and baseball, draw interest, basketball is, 
is what reigns supreme on both the, the men's and women's side now with the women's team having so much success. Um, and and throughout basketball season, you know, the, the crowds at the hump, I mean, you can look at the attendance numbers and where it stacks up with the, with the SEC. And I think Ole Miss is one of the few schools that are below Mississippi State. So, you know, it kind of speaks to maybe some of the interest that, you know, people in Mississippi have right now in the basketball programs. Um, and, and uh, you know, talking to Robbie Falk and Brian Haydad and, and some of those guys that have been around uh, Mississippi State for a long time, you know, they were kind of just like, wait for ba- wait for baseball. You'll enjoy baseball. You'll enjoy baseball. And, and I was like, okay. And, you know, they were telling me baseball was, was going to be, you know, all that. And, and it lived up to it. I mean, Mississippi State fans clearly, as Michael had kind of alluded to, the, the way to that national championship, um, you know, it, it clearly paid off because they had, um, you know, over 34,000 fans throughout the three days. It was the biggest uh, opening weekend crowd they've ever had. And I'm sure having a, a ranked opponent in Long Beach State, which, um, you know, we'll, we'll get to that later. I mean, they're a really good team. Um, you know, having Long Beach State there probably added to a lot of uh, a lot of the hype surrounding uh, that weekend. Um, and it was awesome, man. It was awesome. I mean, seeing a, a baseball stadium, not just um, of that size, but, you know, how well kept it is and how much, you know, they, they take care of it. It's kind of, you know, it's kind of funny to see. I know they're about to start some renovations on the hump, but even, you know, at Davis Wade, Davis Wade kind of looks a little outdated when you compare it to, to everything that Duty Noble has, just because of how much, you know, alumni have helped, uh, baseball alumni have helped with that, how much, you know, it's it's clear that you know, having an athletic director like John Cohen, who used to be part of the baseball program uh, in, in charge of things, it's clear that he cares. And, and you know, some of the, the, the upgrades that they had this offseason, you know, you, you're probably thinking, does, does Duty Noble really need that many upgrades? Well, you know, they did small things like add a scoreboard ribbon or, or you know, add a couple concession stands, and, and it goes a long way. You know, they're not, they're not trying to do too much. There's just a few things that they want to, you know, make sure they're up to date with, and, and they, you know, took advantage of that and did a good job with it. And, um, you know, it's just – it's a really cool experience. Um, you know, it, it's clear how much these fans care, um, you know, how much they want another national championship in, in Starkville. And, um, you know, the, the, the way that Mississippi State approaches it is, is I think they know that the fans have – respect for the game and they trust the fans to do the right things. And, and before that last game on Sunday, uh, I went out to the, like the left field lounge area to kind of check it out. And, um, you know, I, I've never been at a baseball stadium where you don't have bleachers in the outfield. You have like grills and little like stations, almost like little pods that, you know, people buy out and stuff like that. And, um, uh, Abby, Abby Hunt and her family and people around Mississippi state probably know Abby Hunt. She used to work for, for the women's basketball program and, um, some people in Tupelo might know her her family there. Um, you know, she their family has one of those left field lounge spots. And I went to go check it out before the game, and, and she was explaining how everything worked. And I think one thing that stood out to me was, um, you know, you, you obviously have that grill, so you could bring in your own food and, and stuff like that, um, and coolers. But, you know, in those coolers, you're allowed to bring in any of your own beverages. And, and there's not a lot of places around the nation, especially college campuses, that will allow you to bring in whatever beverages you want in your cooler, um, but I think that's a testament to the fact that, um, you know, Mississippi State trusts their fans to not, you know, do something overly stupid and, and get carried away and, and whatever. And there's there's not a lot of college campuses where you see that. Um, so I think that's a testament to to the respect the fans have uh, for, for college baseball here. And, and I think the, um, the athletic department understands that and is willing to, like, you know, let them have fun and, and let them make their lives a little bit easier um, because they know that. And I, and I think overall from, from the fans to the administration and then obviously – you know, Chris Lamonis, his staff, and, and the team, they, they all understand uh, what Mississippi State baseball means. And uh, and, and this first weekend, I, I was impressed, I got to say. Well, uh, it was interesting. And, and 
you knew that there was going to be good attendance this weekend, especially with the, the forecast and, and the Bulldogs beginning the season uh, as defending national champions. And there was uh, the unveiling of the, uh, the official uh, national championship logo on the uh, outfield wall before the game. But I'll tell you, and I was there for the Friday game, um, it was more than I expected. I mean, it wasn't an attendance record uh, for Mississippi State by any stretch, but uh, if there are records kept for the number of fans who attend a 2 o'clock game on a work day, <laughs> you know, it was close to being one of those business fan special kind of, of games. You know, it was a little bit later than that, but not much uh, at with a 2 o'clock start. And, man, it was just like uh, – it, it was like the, the Saturday or Sunday game. And it was, you know, people everywhere and, you know, uh, hard to, uh, to get around campus uh, to get parked and get settled and, and all of that. Uh, just, uh, you know, a tremendous crowd. Uh, there. I imagine if they had played a powerhouse like Charleston Southern, how big the crowd would have been. You know <laughs> what? Uh, it was, it was interesting uh, at Ole Miss as well. Ole Miss has had um, different opening, uh, opponents before. In fact, Ole Miss and State last year both were part of the uh, the Globe Life event there uh, in Arlington, Texas, uh, where you take on the Texas schools, and that kind of, uh, you know, propelled Ole Miss to that temporary number one uh, ranking there. But uh, it was a great event. Uh, the Rebels won three games there. State won twice, and, and uh, you know, you like those kinds of, uh, of openers, and State was closer to that. With Long Beach State, uh, New Long Beach would have some good pitching coming in. Um, Ole Miss, though, Michael, with uh, rebuilding the, the pitching staff and that sort of thing, it's probably better for them to ease into, into the season. You know, uh, VCU, Virginia Commonwealth, will be a little better uh, this weekend. Uh, what, uh, what were your takeaways uh, what you, from what you saw on the field there, not the concession food? You know, if uh, overdosing on something was your goal, I could think of better things than uh, concession food at Ole Miss. So be careful with that. Uh, but, uh, what were your takeaways from the field? Yeah, I mean, uh, the problem is, you know, it's the dollar hot dogs on uh, weekdays. They're limiting oh, yes. us to two now because I was going to do the – because they gave us a $12 voucher. Nick Suss and I of the Clary Ledger were going to try to do 12 But apparently <laughs> we're not allowed to do that because it's frowned upon. Uh, well, probably, probably better for you. Probably better for you. It's probably better for everybody in the press box too. Um, but uh, you know, I, I I had heard so much about the Ole Miss lineup and how you know you, you can talk about you know number wise of of runs and hits and all that kind of stuff coming back. But um, you know, it's like yesterday was a perfect example where it's like you know they're not playing great. It's three to one, and then all of a sudden it's 11 to one because they have an eight running like they're just that team that can put up those crooked, those crooked numbers. And, you know, Tim Elko, uh, I don't know if you, if you, if you guys knew this, but he had a torn ACL last year. I don't think we talk about that enough. Um, but you know, he's healthy. He's diving the bags again. He's, he's playing in the field. Um, uh, that dude, he looks, I mean, you know, he, he, he proved he could hit without the ACL last year. He, he looks fully healthy now. Um, there's just so many different guys. You know, they like to say one through nine, there's not a break in the lineup. And it really kind of looks like they're right. Um, obviously, it's going to be a little bit different when 
you get the better pitching staffs in and what, and you're facing offenses that are going to put up more than a run or two uh, against you. But, um, you know, they, 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 they did what they were supposed to do offensively. And I think Parrish, like you alluded to, I think maybe having a, a not as strong opening op- opponent is probably a good thing to ease the pitchers into what's going to kind of be coming later. Um, you know, Derek Diamond looked pretty good. Uh, he had a kind of a, a weird fourth inning where things kind of could have gotten a lot worse. And then he didn't, he, he went five. I think he's the only starter that went more than, uh, than four innings um, because, you know, they're kind of, they're moving guys around and they're kind of trying to figure out what they have in the bullpen. But, um, you know, I, I, I think, you know, for, given the competition and everything, I think the pitching was solid and, and they had some nice guys out of the bullpen that were throwing really hard. Riley Maddox looks like he's going to be really, really good uh, out of the bullpen. Uh, Hunter Elliott, you know, the uh, looked really, really good yesterday in his first appearance. I think they're just kind of trying to figure out what they have. Uh, and, you know, tomorrow Jack Washburn is supposed to start. He's the Oregon State transfer I don't know if there's going to be a game tomorrow, so I'm not sure, uh, you know, if where he's going to fit in. But, uh, you know, the one thing they've talked about is how they feel like they have a lot of depth and there's a lot of pitching pieces. And it's sort of trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together uh, compared to last year where you knew what you had at the top with Nikhazy and and Gunner. Um, But I, I, I think that. You, you saw glimpses of, you know, the pitching could probably be good enough and the hitting is definitely going to be good enough. And I think it's just a question of how, you know, when you get to those SEC, you know, series, what does the pitching look like against them? And I don't think we're going to know much about, you know, what this pitching staff really is for another month or two uh, until we get to some of those really good series. You know, sometimes uh, in, in the run-up to any season, uh, this is certainly not unique to baseball, but you listen to coaches and you listen to players and and they tell you uh, what the season might look like or they give you a glimpse of their plan, their strategy and whatnot. And and, and then you actually see the product on the field and you think, man, what the, you know, I'm, I'm not all in on this. What, what, what were they thinking here? Uh, and, you know, I would have to say that uh, – Looking at Ole Miss on the weekend, you know, I see what Mike Bianco was talking about when he talked about a deeper pitching staff, a different pitching staff, because they were top-heavy last year. They had two very good starters. They had, you know, a very good closer, but they weren't as deep in that bullpen last year. If Riley Maddox can uh, build on his first game, uh, he's going to have some struggles. He's going to face better lineups. But you know what? Uh, when you can dial up 95 or 96 and reach back and find that. And the thing about Maddox, and I was there for that game on Saturday, you know, it's one thing to throw it hard. It's another thing to throw it hard and know where it's going. You know, he had like 17 strikes on 19 pitches, you know, and and some of those were swing and miss. But, uh, you know, that's what you get when you uh, get to fastball up in the zone sometimes. you challenge hitters and they, you know, they get this idea that they can catch up with it, you know, and lots of times they don't. And we saw some of that with Maddox. So I think you could see what uh, Bianco was talking about uh, in terms of how the pitching, you know, could be good is going to be different because you're not going to have, look, last year, 
Uh, Doug Nikhazy and Gunnar Hoagland, Hoagland in the first round, Nikhazy in the second, they were both gone in 58 picks in June. They were off the board. Those guys aren't there. So Ole Miss is kind of remaking its pitching in a different way, and it looks like they have the pieces to do what they want to do. Now, in terms of listening to the coaches, uh, Steph, and and uh, we heard Brad Cumbus talk uh, at the preseason media day about how this team uh, could be better offensively than last year, how the national championship team could actually be better. They didn't look that way in the first two games. you know. And I understand they were playing a, a better opponent, and uh, Long Beach State has uh, some good pitching, and you know, we knew that going in. But, uh, you know, there's a level of expectation for uh, Mississippi State. And, you know, to get where you want to be, uh, to have a chance to repeat, to go deep in the postseason, do all those things, you're going to have to hit good pitching. You're going to have to hit and score against good pitching. And there are lots of things you can say right now. Obviously, the Bulldogs lost two of their better bats in uh, Tanner Allen and Rowdy Jordan. Uh, pitching is typically ahead of hitting early in the season. You can say all those things, but at the end of the day, I think everybody expected this team would score more than three runs in the first two games. Uh, what were your takeaways uh, from the offense for the weekend? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I think two things can be true. And, and I think maybe people forget that sometimes that, um, you know, it, you can say that Mississippi state played poorly this weekend and acknowledge that they didn't play that well, but you can also say that, you know, it's still early and, and they have time to improve. I, I think both can be true. I think me saying that they struggle this weekend doesn't mean that their, you know, season is over and there's, and there's no hope and this offense is never going to turn it around. But like you said, I mean, those first two games, the offense uh, did not look good. And, and it's not really for lack of opportunity. There was, um, you know, stretches where they would get the leadoff guy on base and, and not do, not do much with it um, mainly because they were striking out and, and not putting the ball in play. And uh, like you said, a lot of that's a testament to really good Long, long Beach State pitching. Um, you know, but then again, when you get to SEC play, the pitching isn't going to be any worse than Long Beach State's was. Um, so that's definitely something to keep an eye on. You know, I, I think there's just some, um, you know, position battles, number one, and, and maybe we've got one, you know, settled for now in center field with, with the way Matt Corder has been playing. Um, there's a couple position battles. And then I think just just spots in the lineup where Limonis, um, you know, is trying to work things out. He had said after that Sunday win that, you know, the rotation and the lineup were nowhere near being finalized. Um, and that, that's, you know, makes sense. And three games into the season when you, when you've got as much turnover as a team like Mississippi state does. Um, but, but going back to the offense specifically, I, I think it was just a matter of putting balls in play and, and putting good contact on it. Like, you know, they had some base hits where it was just, you know, bloopers and, and very unconvincing in, in their own right. And then, you know, you're getting, uh, easy ground balls and uh, and then or you're just striking out and um, you know that they turned that around on Sunday in a big way um, you know a lot of that might have to do with the fact that Long Beach State took those first two games and they said all right we can you know toss out some of the other arms especially after the game got away from them um, so that kind of goes back to you know how do you handle those first two games it'll make your Sunday a lot easier if you uh, if you lose those first two games I suppose because you're going to be going all out for a win the other team might might be a little lax um, but I think the, the interesting move was Sunday, um, you know, moving RJ Yeager down, I think it was the five or six spot. I can't remember exactly, but I know he put Cameron James up at the leadoff spot uh, just to change it up a little bit. You know, RJ coming in um, as a transfer, it can be hard for someone to deal with the expectations that come with Mississippi State. Um, you know, Matt Corder himself came in as a transfer. and He was talking about how 
you know, he, he had his home run and as he was running around the field, you know, everyone was going crazy on Sunday. He had, he had never seen anything like that. And, and there's a lot of players that um, there's a lot of players that go into major league baseball and probably have never seen something like that, let alone, you know, in college. Um, so with the RJ Yeager moving to the top of the lineup, those first two games, you know, he's the one that has to set the tone and, and I'm sure there's a million things running through his mind and he's the first guy up there and, and all that, you know, moved him down, got him relaxed a little bit and he got on base a few times and, and you know, helped, uh, especially in that uh, fifth or sixth inning when they scored seven runs, he, he was a big part of all that. So um, th- there's move, a lot of moving pieces. And I think um, where those pieces moved to on Friday and Saturday probably just weren't where they belong, at least not for right now. And maybe RJ or can't be a leadoff guy down the road, but um, you know, right now it seems like maybe he's better fit uh, somewhere all slower in the lineup. So I, I think, um, you know, both things can be true. A lot of things are going to change and I'm sure this Mississippi state offense will get rolling at some point. Um, you know, the, the talent on a team like Mississippi state is just too good to not um, be good. I mean, they lose two out of three and they're still a top 10 team right now in that latest D one poll. So I think uh, people you know, understand that. So you can say that they'll, they'll be fine. They'll figure it out, but you also acknowledge, you know, some of the struggles that they have. And then if they start, you know, piling up and you're getting SEC plays and some of these, some of these struggles are still, you know, rolling, then you can look back on a weekend like Long Beach State and be like, all right, you know, what, what we saw there is, is what's carrying over. And, um, and you know, with a guy like Chris Limonis, I think everyone's pretty confident that, that he can get it figured out and, and the assistant staff that he has there. But, um, yeah, it, it was just a total contrast Sunday uh, compared to, to Friday and Saturday that it, it's almost hard to – to really take away too much without, you know, getting a bigger sample size, which is, that's just how baseball works at any level. That's baseball. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's one of the popular, uh, most uh, popular sayings there. Hey, exactly. quarter, who is this guy? Well, where, where's he from? Uh, looks like he's making a move for more playing time. Yeah, no, coming in, uh, he, he was a guy that they didn't have um, at all in, in the, the fall season, you know, when he came in and, um, he had a shoulder surgery, so he was unavailable all fall. And, and really, you know, Chris Monis wasn't too sure what he what he would get from him immediately because of that. It was around Christmas time that um, Quarter said he was able to, to start coming back. And then after um, winter break, the holiday break, whatever you want to call it, um, when they returned um, for spring semester, uh, he was a full go and, and he was ready to go. And, um, you know, we heard. Braylon Skinner and and Jess Davis as kind of the guys competing for the center field spot. So I honestly thought that we'd see, you know, Braylon Skinner got that start on Friday. I thought that we would see Jess Davis on Saturday and then, you know, whichever one of them played better on again on Sunday. We didn't really hear too much about Matt Quarter. And then he goes and gets that Saturday start, looks pretty good. And then they bring him out there again Sunday. And obviously he kind of gets that home run that, that sparks, you know, the entire offense for the day. And, and his, his home run was no cheap shot. I mean, it, it left left the ballpark, like the entire ballpark uh, in left field uh, towards kind of where those uh, practice facilities for football are parish. Um, it, it was an impress, impressive shot. And, you know, talking postgame, he talked a lot about what Willamonis was saying. Like, you know, there's there's pressure and expectations, you know, in your first time coming over to play for Mississippi State, um, you know, coming over from a junior college. I think it was Heinz Community College that he's coming over from. Um you know, there's a lot of expectations and he was saying how, you know, he was in center field and he saw all the people out there sitting and, and he was like, you, you kind of get nervous. And then you realize, Hey, there's, there's 13,000 people here, but those are 13,000 people who got your back. You know, it's not like you're, you're, um, you're LSU coming into to Davis Wade, you know, you play for Mississippi or sorry, not Davis Wade, duty noble. Um, but, but you're playing for Mississippi state uh, playing at duty noble. And, and there's, you know, there's people that are on your side and cheering you on and, uh, that kind of helps with the whole thing. Sorry if you heard that Slack notification in the back, Michael. That's on me. Sorry. Right um, but 
Um, hey man, getting stuff done. I'm all about getting stuff done. That's <laughs> but yeah, it, it he, he he's looking good right now. He's looking good, and, and that shoulder doesn't appear to be an issue. Um, so it's impressive how quick he's kind of been able to go from not doing anything at all to being a full go, and now you know hitting home runs in, in an opening weekend against a good Long Beach State team. So I think uh, you'll see a bit of him moving forward, and until maybe he hits a slump or something like that, and then um, you know you got Braylon Skinner, or Jess Davis back there to to come in if needed. Michael, take us home, man. If the Rebels are able to play their scheduled game against Arkansas State, what do you expect to see from Jack Washburn? I know that uh, uh, Bianco is trying to get uh, a lot of uh, players uh, innings right now. And uh, Chris threw, I think, a scoreless inning on, uh, excuse me, Jack Washburn. Jack threw a scoreless inning on uh, Friday. Uh, what, What do you think you see from him against Arkansas State? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting sort of trying to figure out where guys are ultimately going to kind of fit in, in the grand scheme. Because Bianco even said, like, just because, you know, the rotation was set this weekend, it doesn't necessarily mean that's going to be what it's like in a few weekends from now. Um, and, you know, I, I know, you know, Jim McDaniel pitched. He, he, he wasn't perfect yesterday, but he, he looked okay. And, you know, John Gaddis looked looked pretty solid uh, in, in his start on Saturday. Um but, you know, I, I think there's kind of room for guys to kind of move around and maybe Washburn is a guy who ends up in that that weekend part of of, of, of the rotation. And, uh, you know, he did look good in that inning that he pitched. Uh, again, you know, it's that part of the season where if you shut down Arkansas State, I don't know how much you take away from it. But uh, I, I do think that, um, you know, he's got the pedigree, like quite literally since his dad played for the Angels and Jared Washburn. Uh, which is kind of crazy to think about. I, I remember him when I was like 14 years old, so I'm feeling old again. That's um, not that long ago for me. Okay, okay. Well, <laughs> not helping anything here, Steph. Um, but, you know, he's an Oregon State transfer. He's played in big games. He's played in front of big crowds. So that's not going to be a problem for him. Um, but, you know, he, he showed, you know, some, some low 90s stuff uh, on Saturday. Uh, he looked good. I, I, I think it was – I, I kind of like Bianco giving him an inning and just kind of letting him get out there and, and, you know, give him some work before the weekend. I don't know if Mike looked at the weekend forecast and maybe knew this was coming. I don't know. Uh, I know he is a meticulous planner, so I wouldn't be surprised if he did know, uh, you know, what was coming. But uh, I, I, I think, he, uh, you know, it's it's – I think this is right now it's a lot of, like, you don't want to say auditioning, but I think this is a lot of, like – Bianco is going to throw out some guys into some situations and everybody is going to kind of see what they can do. And, and then, you know, in a month or two, things will be a little bit more finalized, but uh, I, I think Washburn, uh, you know, he, he was a big piece. He was a big piece that, you know, was talked about, you know, in the off season. And uh, I, I think this is a big opportunity for him and, you know, who ends up getting bumped if, if Washburn pitches really well, you know, who knows, but, um, you know, I think it's, it's another chance to sort of do the audition and see what you have in that rotation. Folks, that'll wrap us up for this edition of the justify your existence podcast for Michael Katz and Stefan Christ. I'm Parrish Alford. Thanks for being with us.